This is episode 295 of That Shakespeare Life. Just like the work of William Shakespeare, That Shakespeare Life is supported by listeners just like you who sign up to be our patrons. You can help support our show and contribute directly to programming, as well as access over 150 episodes not available on public listening platforms when you join us as a patron at patreon.com slash that Shakespeare Life. That's patreon.com slash that Shakespeare Life. If you like diving into the 17th century and really getting your hands on the history and getting to try pieces of it out for yourself, then you will love Experience Shakespeare. Experience Shakespeare is the membership here at That Shakespeare Life, and we offer digital history activity kits that let you try out a piece of Shakespeare's history for yourself. It's the best way to cook, play, and create your way through the life of William Shakespeare. Learn more and sign up today at CassidyCash.com slash member and stay tuned after the episode for even more details. Hi, I'm Dr. Jane Malcolm Davis, co-author of The Typical Tudor. Another great method for studying the life of William Shakespeare includes listening to this. It's That Shakespeare Life with my friend Cassidy Cash. He claims to have confronted and challenged a faceless white figure dressed in a Tudor gown and a French hood. When his challenge meant no response, he apparently plunged his bayonet into it. And to his complete shock, the weapon did not meet flesh. Instead, it went straight through the spectral figure. Welcome to That Shakespeare Life with Cassidy Cash. Cassidy believes that if you desire to successfully learn or perform Shakespeare's plays, then understanding the real life and history of William Shakespeare himself is a must. That Shakespeare Life is the podcast that helps you go beyond the curtain of some of Shakespeare's most iconic works and explore the world of early modern England as Shakespeare would have lived it, learning from the writers, historians, and performers who know it best. And now, here's Cassidy. In Tudor England, it was a tradition to tell ghost stories to celebrate the Christmas time, particularly on Christmas Eve. One of the people about whom ghost stories might have been shared is none other than Anne Boleyn. If the legends are true, Anne Boleyn's ghost was the most traveled ghost in Britain, with stories of her spirit wandering across the country in at least seven different locations. These stories were told after Anne's death and survived, not necessarily in Shakespeare's lifetime, but they persist today about this woman who played a prominent role in Shakespeare's lifetime. So in order to honor the Tudor tradition of ghost stories at Christmas time, we've decided to explore the ghost stories about one of Tudor England's most famous figures. And to share these stories with us is our guest, historian, and author of The Final Year of Anne Boleyn, Natalie Gruniger. Natalie Gruniger is a Tudor history specialist, author, and podcaster who lives in Australia with her husband and two children. In 2009, she created On the Tudor Trail, a website dedicated to teaching and promoting Tudor history. Natalie is the host of Talking Tudors, a podcast for lovers of Tudor history and the founder of the Women's History Circle, dedicated to promoting the work of women creatives with a passion for history. Her latest book, The Final Year of Anne Boleyn, was published by Pen and Sword Books in November of 2022. Find links to Natalie's books and more information about her work in the show notes for today's episode. Hello, Natalie. Welcome to That Shakespeare Life. Hello, Cassidy. So lovely to be with you. Anne is said to haunt Hampton Court Palace, one of the residences where she lived with Henry VIII. Natalie, what are the stories about Anne's after-death behavior at this location? 
Yes, so Anne's ghost has been seen at Hampton Court wearing a blue or a black dress sometimes. Some accounts claim she's actually headless during these manifestations, but really few other details are known. Anne was, of course, very fond of Hampton Court, and she had her own apartments there as early as June 1529, when she was still but a queen in waiting. We also know that Anne stimulated Henry's interest in building, and the couple worked together on redesigning parts of the palace that had originally belonged to Cardinal Thomas Wolsey. But it's also likely that Hampton Court Palace was actually the backdrop to one of the most tragic and emotional moments of Anne's life which is perhaps why some people still sense her there or possibly even see her spectre. As early as January 1534, Queen Anne is reported as being pregnant. In late April, she's said to have, and I quote, a goodly belly, and in late June, the royal couple are still said to be merry. However, quite suddenly on the 2nd of July, the king leaves Anne behind at Hampton Court and moves to the moor in Hertfordshire. A trip to Calais to meet with Francis I, which had long been arranged, is then suddenly cancelled, and Anne's brother, George Boleyn, is ordered to go to France in all haste and meet with the French king. So it's likely that sometime between late June and the king's abrupt departure in early July, Anne was in fact delivered of a stillborn child in her bedchamber in the suite of apartments reserved for the queen there at Hampton Court. I think it's also worth noting that Anne's successor, Jane Seymour almost suddenly died in the very same room that witnessed Anne's heartbreaking loss. Jane is also to haunt the palace. She's reported to appear on the silver stick stairs holding a lighted candle. Now, these stairs once led up to the the apartments that I spoke about earlier. Most famously, perhaps, Cassidy is the screaming spectre of Catherine Howard that I'm sure people have heard of, who's said to appear in what is now known as the Haunted Gallery. So the story on which this ghost sighting is based is almost certainly apocryphal. However, many people have actually contacted me over the years to share their strange experiences in this area of the palace, feeling a bit dizzy, some people even fainting, collapsing. So perhaps there's some truth to the story after all. Another residence of Anne and Henry is Windsor Castle, and there are more ghost stories about Anne appearing there as well. What are the stories about what happens when she appears at Windsor? Yes. So in contrast to Hampton Court, Anne experienced one of the greatest highs of her career at Windsor Castle. And not many people know about this, I don't think. In what is now known as the Garter Throne Room, Anne was made Marcus of Pembroke on the 1st of September, 1532. So in front of the most prominent members of the court, King Henry VIII draped an ermine-trimmed mantle of crimson velvet around Anne's shoulders and placed a golden coronet on her head. She was essentially now one of the highest-ranking and wealthiest women of the kingdom. So perhaps, perhaps it's these happy memories that draw her back to this location. Anne Boleyn has been seen standing at the window in the Dean's Cloister at Windsor Castle. This area is close to the entrance of St George's Chapel, where in fact Henry VIII is buried with Jane Seymour. Another Windsor ghost story claims that Anne Boleyn has been seen running down a corridor screaming and again sometimes clutching her head. King Henry VIII himself is also said to haunt the cloisters. Allegedly, the ghost of a man has been occasionally seen in her dragging his leg and groaning in agony. Henry, as we know, post-1536 suffered from excruciating leg ulcers and a number of other complaints, which is why this story is often associated with the king. Many historians consider Blickling Hall in Norfolk to be Anne's birthplace. Natalie, does Anne's spirit haunt her birthplace as well? 
Certainly, it does, Cassidy. Her ghost seems to be quite prolific. I think Anne was almost certainly born at Blickling Hall in Norfolk and probably lived there with her family until around the age of four or five. So the story goes that each year on the 19th of May, the anniversary of Anne's execution, her spectre is said to arrive at Blickling Hall in Norfolk in a phantom carriage drawn by a headless coachman and four headless horses. Again, as in some of the other stories, Anne is said to be either clutching her head or her head is said to be resting on her lap. The carriage makes its way up the long drive towards the house before disappearing, leaving the former queen to roam the corridors and grounds of her childhood home until sunrise. There are other accounts of Anne's ghost being seen inside the house, usually dressed in grey. The current Jacobean mansion was built on the footprint of the original Berlin home, and some of the fabric does indeed come from this earlier residence. Anne's ghost has also been seen at nearby Sal Church, or Saul Church, I should say, the final resting place of Anne's great-great-grandparents, Geoffrey Boleyn and his wife, Alice Bracton. But the Tudor Queen is not the only member of her family said to haunt this area. It's also said that on the 17th of May, the anniversary of the death of George Boleyn, Anne's brother, his headless form is dragged around the countryside by four headless horses. Thomas Boleyn, too, is driven around the countryside in a spectral coach. So it's a bit of a Boleyn family gathering. I'm seeing a trend. Yes. Everybody's ghost wants to be transported by headless coaches. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) One place that Anne's spirit visits specifically for Christmas Eve is Hever Castle, her childhood home. Natalie, tell us some about why Hever Castle is so important to Anne's life and where her spirit is said to wander there on Christmas Eve. Yes, that's right. And finally, a less gruesome tale. Anne's ghost is said to appear each Christmas at Heber Castle in Kent, her childhood home. She's said to manifest beneath a great oak tree where it's alleged that Anne and Henry courted. Now, her ghost is also said to walk across the bridge that's on the castle grounds. Heber is absolutely crucial to the Boleyn story. In 1505, upon the death of Anne's paternal grandfather, Sir William Boleyn, Thomas, Anne's father, inherited a number of manors, including Heber. He's subsequently moved there with his young family. Presumably, the castle's proximity to London and to the port at Dover were particularly handy given Thomas's rising career at court and his diplomatic engagements on the continent. Anne probably spent much of her time there with her mother, her grandmother and her siblings between 1505 and the summer of 1513 when she departs for the court of Margaret of Austria. So later during the early days of Anne's romance with Henry VIII, she would again spend periods of time at Hever Castle, including quite a long stay there over the winter of 1527-1528, where we can imagine Anne reading some of Henry's ardent love letters. It's likely that Anne was at Hever when she made the momentous decision to accept the king's marriage proposal. Hever also appears to have been something of a haven for the Boleyns, and they often retreated there in times of turmoil. Anne seeks refuge and convalesces at Hever during the summer of 1528, when both her and her father were actually struck down with the the dreaded sweating sickness. And it's to Hever that Anne's parents retreat following the heartbreaking arrest and the brutal execution of their children in May, May 1536. Perhaps even now, Anne's spirit is still drawn to the warm embrace of her childhood home that witnessed both the family's startling rise and, of course, their catastrophic fall. It sounds like Hever Castle was a lot like Balmoral for Queen Elizabeth. It was this safe place to go to. 
As the site of her execution, it makes perhaps the most sense that Anne would haunt the Tower of London. Natalie, what are the stories about Anne Boleyn's ghost there at the Tower of London? Yes, Anne Boleyn's ghost has been actually seen on numerous occasions at the Tower. And this is another location where people have contacted me to say that they have, in fact, experienced strange things. I suppose it makes sense when you consider that within its ancient walls, Anne actually experienced both triumph and tragedy. So she stayed in sumptuous splendor there in the Queen's apartments prior to her coronation in 1533. And then she was imprisoned in the very same apartments in May 1536. The only other recorded visit actually took place in December 1532, when her and the king inspected the suite of rooms which were being refurbished for Anne's coronation. At the same time, the couple toured the jewel house, where among other treasures, the crown jewels and the coronation regalia were stored. Perhaps the most spectacular ghost story relating to Anne is that of a captain of the guard who saw one night a flickering light in the locked chapel royal, where Anne is in fact buried. He tried to uncover the sources of the light by apparently climbing up a ladder and was met with an unbelievable scene unfolding inside. It was a procession of knights and ladies dressed in ancient costumes pacing the chapel. Their leader, an elegant female whose face he could not clearly see, is said to have resembled that of Anne Boleyn's in portraits that he'd apparently seen. So after pacing a while, the procession just disappears. In 1864, a soldier on duty near the lieutenant's lodgings made another sighting of Anne's ghost. He claims to have confronted and challenged a faceless white figure dressed in a Tudor gown and a French hood. When his challenge meant no response, he apparently plunged his bayonet into it. And to his complete shock, the weapon did not meet flesh. Instead, it went straight through the spectral figure. And according to the traditional story, an officer that was lodged in the nearby Bloody Tower saw the whole event take place from his window. Always good to have witnesses when you're claiming to have stabbed the ghost of a dead queen. Absolutely. The last location we're going to cover today where Anne's ghost is said to appear is, I believe it's pronounced Roqueford Hall. Am I pronouncing that right? Oh, I've always thought Rochford Hall, but you know what? I get English place. I don't know. I get English place names wrong all the time, Cassidy. Well, that makes me feel much better. It took me a long time to be able to say Worcestershire. So I'm (laughs) I'm working. We'll say Rochford Hall. But explain for us what this location represents for Anne's life and then share some of the stories of her haunting this location. Yeah, so this this property came into Berlin ownership in 1515. In its heyday, it was a sprawling manor house and one of the actually one of the largest residences in the county. Unfortunately, a, disa- a disastrous fire in 1760 reduced it by more than half its original size. There are rumors of clandestine meetings between Henry VIII and Anne Boleyn taking place at the house and even a secret tunnel system beneath the home, which the king is said to have used as his discreet escape route. But unfortunately, a lack of any reliable sources casts a dubious light over these colourful tales. According to a previous owner, there are stories of sightings of a headless lady and also feelings of extreme cold, which are often repeated in in reputedly haunted locations in one of the rooms. Some people have suggested this may be the ghost of Anne Boleyn. Um, the hall actually today operates as a golf club. So if you've got any golfers out there, they may have played there. I don't think my golf game needs to be practiced somewhere where there might be ghosts interfering. I'm I'm bad enough as it is. Mm-hmm. 
And I know that ghost stories were part of Christmas time celebrations during Shakespeare's lifetime, but do any of these ghost stories about Anne Boleyn actually date to within Shakespeare's lifetime? Were they telling stories about her haunting different locations when Shakespeare was alive, such that any of these might have been some that were told on Christmas Eve for Shakespeare? Yeah, so Cassidy, most of the the sort of most famous ghost stories, I suppose, about Anne Boleyn actually date to the Victorian period, which is... that no makes surprise, sense. really, yes. because <laughs> yes, it makes sense. Because this was a time in which, of course, she was greatly romanticized. There was huge interest in her story. Queen Victoria herself was particularly interested in Anne Boleyn and her life and her story. And she becomes this kind of romantic heroine, which is why we get all these wonderful tales coming to us from the Victorian period. So whether they told stories about Anne Boleyn during Shakespeare's days is a tricky one. There's no evidence to to suggest they did, but then there's no evidence to suggest they didn't. It would have been slightly awkward telling stories probably about Anne while Elizabeth was still queen, her daughter Elizabeth I, but perhaps post-1603 when Elizabeth had died, maybe then some stories about Anne um, surfaced. A little bit too soon for Shakespeare, yes. Little, little too much recent history, Anne Boleyn's life and death would have been, because that would have been, let's see, Shakespeare's parents would have been alive for the death of Anne Boleyn. Yes, exactly. So I think it was still probably a sensitive topic um, at the time. I know we would love to learn more about Anne Boleyn and the stories that get told about her. What are some of your favorite books or resources you can recommend we use to learn more? Okay, so I've got a few to mention. So there's um, one called Britain's Haunted Heritage by J.A. Brooks. It's an interesting resource, albeit a little bit out of date, as it was published in 1990. So some of the history is a little bit questionable, but it is great. It's a collection of over 250 ghost stories that take place at historic buildings. So historic buildings in in Britain, from pubs to castles, stately homes, many of which you can actually visit yourself if you're a keen ghost hunter. Now, the other great thing about the book is that it contains lots of colour photographs and other illustrations, which were specifically apparently taken and commissioned for the book. So there's some really interesting images in there. Another fun resource that I've come across is uh, it's called Creepy Stories and Ghostly Encounters Map that Hampton Court put out a few years ago. I think it was around the time of Halloween they put this out. So the main ghost stories associated with the palace are actually marked on a map. So you can take it with you on your next visit and make sure that you don't miss any of the spooky locations. So finally, if you'll permit me a little self-promotion, Cassidy, if your listeners would like to learn more about Anne Boleyn's downfall, my latest nonfiction book entitled The Final Year of Anne Boleyn is actually a detailed account of the last 18 months of Anne's life. And in it, I put forward my theories of why I think she, she was executed in May 1536. Absolutely. We will link to this book as well as the others that Natalie recommends today in the show notes for today's episode. If you haven't checked out Natalie's latest book, you absolutely should. It answers a lot of questions that are commonly asked about Anne Boleyn and her downfall in the end of her life. So definitely go and check that out. And we'll also place links to Natalie's website, her podcast and socials so you can connect with her and find out more about Tudor history. So make sure you check out the show notes to find those. Natalie, we ask everyone this next question here at That Shakespeare Life, and that's what's the one book you would take with you on a deserted island? My friends in England tell me I'm supposed to allow you the complete works of Shakespeare and a copy of the Bible, so your choice would be in addition to those. This is a very tricky question, Cassidy. Really difficult question. I'm going to keep it Tudor theme just to to stick with our theme of our podcast. 
I'm going to suggest a book or a book that I would would definitely love to have with me is called A Traveler in Time by Alison Artley. I don't know if you've read it, but it's actually it's probably more in the young adult fiction genre. However, it's perfectly fine for for adults to read. It is one of the most atmospheric books that I have ever read. I I'm just looking now over at my autographed copy that I that I received that's a treasured possession of mine. It's to do with Mary Queen of Scots and the um and Anthony Babington and all those wonderful exciting plots. However, it's got a dual timeline. There's a time slip element which I love, a time slip element in novels. So, I really highly recommend if you haven't read it. It's got some of the most atmospheric scenes and it's like the 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 author time traveled because I don't know how you create scenes like that without having seen it yourself, particularly scenes in the kitchen. So if anyone's listening and knows what I'm talking about, I'd love to hear from you. They're, they're, they're my favorite scenes. An absolute fun selection for your desert island. And I think it's such a great book to be able to transport yourself to another time and another place from your deserted island. I think that's an excellent choice. So what's next for you? What are you working on now that you're excited about? Oh, goodness. There's always so many things. So my podcast keeps me very busy talking tutors, but I'm also in the process of creating online courses. So this year I've been running one called 365 Days with Anne Boleyn. So I've got a group of lovely, lovely tutor history enthusiasts that are with me the entire year. We're hanging out for the whole year and we're having an absolutely fabulous time. Due to the popularity of that course, I have created and I've put one out for next year, which is called 365 Days with the Tudor Queens. So I'm currently working on that behind the scenes. Enrollments are open for that if anyone wants to check it out on my website. But again, we've got a wonderful group of international people from all over the world that are going to do a deep dive into Tudor queenship. Apart from that, I'm I'm always doing little bits of research. And, you know, there are some ideas for, for future books as well. Lovely to hear all of the fun things that are coming from Natalie Gruniger. Thank you so much for being here today and sharing with us this little slice of history about Anne Boleyn and exploring the fun ghost stories that are told about her so that we could celebrate Christmas the way Shakespeare would have celebrated it by telling ghost stories, if not of the ones about Anne Boleyn in his lifetime, but the telling of ghost stories nonetheless. And it's fun to visit the past and explore these stories with you. Thank you for being here and sharing them with us. Thank you. It's been an absolute pleasure. If you would like to see visuals about today's history, including pictures of some of the locations that we discussed and some notes about why those locations were important to the life of Anne Boleyn, then be sure to check out the show notes for today's episode. That's where we pack extra visual elements that go along with the podcast and the conversation you're listening to today, along with direct links to the resources for our guest and the research information that they suggest you use to learn more about today's topic. You can find all of these things at CassidyCash.com slash episode 295. That's Cassidy citycash.com slash EP295. If you love the history you learn about here each week and you would like to dive even deeper into the life of William Shakespeare and really try out some of the food, games, and crafts straight from the 16th and 17th century, then consider exploring Experience Shakespeare. Experience Shakespeare is a collection of digital history activity kits that let you try out pieces of history from Shakespeare's life for yourself. Each of the kits coordinate with specific episodes of our show and with specific plays written by William Shakespeare. So they're a great way to take your study of the plays 
stories of William Shakespeare and really bring them to life in your classroom or in your home, where you can take some of the things he talks about and try them out for yourself. Things like how to make apple wassail, which was a famous Christmas time drink, or how to play the game of naughty, which is a card game that would have been played at all levels of society. You can find out more and sign up today at CassidyCash.com slash member. There's even a free activity kit at that page that you can try out if you think you might like to try one of the activities. Find all these things and sign up at CassidyCash.com slash member. That's CassidyCash.com slash member. That Shakespeare Life is powered by our patrons. Listeners just like you make the history we bring here each week possible. We thank you so much for supporting our show and keeping us on the air. We're able to reach out to wonderful guests like Natalie, all because you're kind enough to support our show. To say thank you for supporting our show, patrons get access to special bonuses and extras related to the making of our show, including insider looks at the making of each episode and the opportunity to submit their own questions to be asked on the air, along with video versions of the podcasts and other special extras that we pack in there just to say thank you for being the fuel behind the fire that is that Shakespeare life. Thank you so much for listening. If you would like to have a direct hand in supporting our show, you can sign up at patreon.com slash that Shakespeare life. That's patreon.com slash that Shakespeare life. That Shakespeare life is researched and produced by me, Cassidy Cash. Our audio engineer is Gary Mayholm. That's it for this week. Thank you for listening. I'm Cassidy Cash, and I hope you learn something new about the Bard. I'll see you next time. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to That Shakespeare Life. As always, the best conversations happen after the episode over at CassidyCash.com. Become a part of a vibrant Shakespeare conversation by adding your voice over at the website. Until next time, remember, when you want to know William Shakespeare, you have to go behind the curtain and into That Shakespeare Life.